When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we will be discussing Beauty and the Beat by the Go-Go's. This is the last of our 1981 albums because the month of June is winding down on us. We're leaving 81. Yes, we are. And I think we're doing it with a pretty interesting, groundbreaking album. So... For those who don't know, the Go-Go's are an all-female band who started off in the L.A. punk scene in the late 70s and ended up making a big name for themselves, but they couldn't get a record deal, mostly because of the fact that they were a girl band. Girl bands were said to not sell at this point. There hadn't been a really successful one up until this. A small label called IRS Records came in, and was willing to sign them. Now, IRS Records, of course, and, and you'll probably touch on this in your synopsis as well, but for me, they went on to be somewhat of a powerhouse, correct? Yeah. Guess why they became a powerhouse? Why so? This album. Oh, really? Okay, so yep. th- this album led the way for them to sign artists like R.E.M., uh, The Bangles. Uh, I was looking at the list earlier, but it was it was pretty neat. Yeah. This was the album that put IRS records on the map. Okay. And made them an actual player. Because before it was known as where you went if you couldn't get a record deal. Gotcha. Which the Go-Go's couldn't. Once they did get a record deal, they were ready to go. The deal was signed on April 1st, 1981, but it was not an April Fool's joke. And interestingly, the founder of the company was Miles Copeland III, whose younger brother is Stuart Copeland, drummer of the police. Oh, yeah. And we love the police. Who doesn't? And he managed the police, right? I believe so, but don't quote me on that. I'm almost positive he did which I thought was insane. It's pretty crazy. So the album was produced by Richard Gotirer. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He started off as a 60s pop songwriter. He wrote I Want Candy and My Boyfriend's Back. Those were two of his big hits. And then in the mid-70s, he produced the first two albums by Blondie. And Rob Freeman, who was the engineer of those albums, joined Richard in producing this album. In my opinion, and of course, I I haven't told our listeners yet, but this was a real big learning curve for me. I didn't know them. I didn't know their sound. I didn't know their background. I went into this one super blind. But listening to Blondie and, and those songs that, that you were talking about, good or doing, you can feel that on this one. I feel like... Uh, maybe I'll get flack for this, but again, I'm learning, I'm learning the go-go's. It almost seemed like 
they were able to corral that punk energy that they were living inside of and be able to make songs like we got the beat inside inside of this album. Oh, most definitely. But interestingly, fun fact, when the band first heard the album, they were not pleased with how it was done. They felt it was not punk enough and they asked Miles Copeland if it could be remixed. But Copeland said, nope, this is good as it is and it'll sell records. It definitely has that record selling sound, but I, okay, I'm glad I didn't find that. And I'm glad to hear you say that because they seemed like punk ladies. And you know, the uh, that punk scene, and especially I would think those punk ladies have to stand, you know, on their merits. They're not going to sell out and do the whole nine. So it was very surprising when I started to learn about them and then have this sound on the album. So that's wild to hear. Yeah, there was one column I read all the time. It's called The Number Ones, and uh, it's by a Tom Bryhan, and I love it. It's on Stereo Gum, not sponsored, but I do really recommend this column. And in his piece on Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle, he said, over the course of 10 years, Belinda Carlisle became a normie. As in normal. (laughs) That's her song? Heaven is a place, place on earth. Ooh, yeah. heaven is a place on earth. Okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that. And how many years after this album was that recorded? Six years later. I have to say, her voice, or maybe the production, or maybe both, had really uh, blossomed from this album. Um, and and we're going hot, hot takes here. I'm not a big fan of her voice on this album, and I am a fan of the way they produced it, but I. It's not that I'm not a fan of her voice per se. I should I should put it this way. It was she it's a very young voice, almost an untrained voice. And coming out of that punk scene, I can see that. Um, but a very young voice is what is what I'll say on that one. Yes, and she was 22 when she recorded this album, Belinda. Her. So it makes sense. I disagree with you on her voice. I love her voice. I, I know you love her voice and for a little a little super tea for for our listeners this is the first uh time where charlie has not been able to see me we do these over the zoom and i wish you guys could have seen his face when i just said that (laughs) yes i do love her voice i'm not going to lie but i have another question for you before we go track by track what do you think of the album cover i think it's cool i think i i'm happy that i found out that the back of the cover was them like totally indulging because again, I go to this sellout mentality. This, I like that word, the normie mentality. Um, and it's something I don't expect from what I've read about these ladies or I, something I didn't expect after what I had read and learned about these ladies. Yes. But the cover was Belinda Carlisle's idea. And so was the album title, but this is punk for you the towels that they wore on the album cover were returned to macy's that day and the ladies all got infections from the mr bubble used in that bathtub shoe i read that oh man we're going now this is so crazy this is some tea i i'm not allergic to anything knock on wood but back in the day my parents used to tell me i was allergic to mr bubble for anybody who doesn't know mr bubble was this uh, bubble bath product that came in a box and it reminded me of 
like harsh abrasive cleaner <laughs> but it was it was the cool bubble bath back then so when i when i read that they got infections i immediately could feel their pain on that one <laughs> yes but the go-go's did not feel pain when this album started selling like hotcakes what did it end up doing so the album was released on July 8th, 1981, and by the end of 81, it was certified gold. But it just kept selling slowly but surely, and by March of 1982, the album reached number one on the Billboard 200 and stayed there for six weeks, and they ended the year as the Billboard 200's number two album, only behind Asia's self-titled debut. Wow. And they were ahead of some big names. They Actually, this year alone outsold the Rolling Frickin' Stones. Not to take, and, and I'm not taking anything away from this album. Do you think a lot of that had come to pass because of the MTV movement and them being beautiful women in front of everybody with We Got the Beat and then uh, Our Lips Are Sealed, th- those videos? Yes, I'm sure the videos helped, and we'll talk about those a bit more once we get to those songs. And this band was a novelty, and to this day, the Go-Go's are the only female band who wrote their songs and played their instruments to ever top the Billboard 200. I'm I'm right along. That that blows me away, and I'm going to catch guff for this one too, but I was convinced that I was going to find a session drummer on the notes for this album. I was blown away way by Gina Shock and her her precision on on that sound. Yes. I'm going to say that at least 80 more times tonight, but the drums, the only thing that kept me in uh in my first listen on this one. And I shouldn't say only, but one of the big big marks for me. Interesting. Well, with that being said, are you ready to get started with track number 1? Let's bust it down. Yes, I'm guessing you knew this one before you heard the album Our Lips Are Sealed. Not at all. What? Straight up and down. And uh, another one is like, I had to check myself because reading through and learning about this, I can't tell you how many times I read um, them being the cornerstone of the New Way movement and how they changed the game. But I had never heard this. Uh, I, uh, surprisingly enough, I had never heard any of the covers either. Wow. My I was all dropped. I'm shook. I was super blind going into this album. We Got the Beat is the only song I knew on this whole album. I didn't know you were quite that blind. I thought you at least knew Our Lips Are Sealed. But... I did not. I did not. So I actually first heard a cover of this song when I was a kid. I was at some event at a bowling alley and Hillary and Haley Duff came on. They were the hot Disney Channel stars of 0304 and I loved Hillary Duff as a kid. She was my favorite before I discovered Cher. And my dad said to me, you know, this is a cover song. This is the Go-Go's. And I'd never heard of them before that, but I thought, huh, interesting. And uh, I do have a lot of nostalgia for Hillary Duff, but I will say that version actually sucks with the canned guitars and the weak voices. It's pretty bad. Sorry if I offend any 2000s children out there with that hot tea take, but it is pretty bad. They don't hold a candle to the Go-Go's. No candle. On this one, on the first uh, listen through, my notes, I I really like the bridge on this album. The breakdown, the Hush My Darling uh, part of the bridge is super cool and neat 
sound that I wasn't expecting uh, from the beginning of this song. And it's a, it's a neat story. Uh, and then to learn the background on the story where it was actually a letter that was written by um, uh, the name loses me. Do you remember the gentleman's name? Yes. Terry Hall. Thank you. Thank you. And he actually got credit for on, on uh, this album for uh, co-writing, I guess you would say, on, on this track, correct? Yeah, he was listed as a co-writer with Jane Weedland, the rhythm guitarist. And this was the album's lead single. It was released a bit before the album, and the band was told to do a video for it. They were very against doing it. They thought it would just be a waste of time. The video just consisted of the girls playing in the club and cruising down L.A. roads. But it was an early MTV staple. My father actually said the first MTV video he ever saw was this one. Wow. One of them, too, when she's sneaking into the car from the lingerie shop uh, in the shoot I was reading, that was a true take where she was embarrassed almost and didn't think that this would catch on and thought it was a waste of time. It certainly wasn't, and it only helped the band because they were on this brand new medium that would come to dominate the 80s musically, and the Go-Go's were early adopters of it. And I will say, it's definitely a better video than some other early MTV videos. Some of the early ones are pretty bad, really low production. This one didn't have a huge budget, but they made do with what they did. Yeah, but that, and like you said, and used a great word, that novelty is what's going to sell, especially in this new age where you've got, I mean, beautiful ladies right there on everybody's screen. That alone is going to stop most people in their tracks and, and have them take a look. Yes, it will. Oh, and another thing I wanted to point out, when the band performs this song live, it contains a second verse that you don't hear on the album. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Pretty interesting how that worked. I don't think it really adds or subtracts from the song as it is. It's a fantastic pop song. This is one of the best pop songs of all time, in my opinion. This is a 10 out of 10. There you go. Yeah, And you share your opinion with so many. Uh, that's When I was reading, I was like, man, I, I need to check myself. I, I totally, again, went in blind and, and was missing out on this my whole life. That's possibly the most shocking thing I know about you is that you didn't hear <laughs> Our Lips Are Sealed until 2022. I'll take that, Charlie. I, I can think of some other shocking things, but I like it. <laughs> That's it. Not much surprises me anymore, but that does. <laughs> I heard that. heard that. So now moving on from Our Lips Are Sealed is uh, track number two, How Much More. This one was written by... Charlotte Cathy and Jane Weedland, who were the band's primary songwriters. I really enjoy this one. It's a really catchy tune about unrequited love. I think that this one had a good shot at being a single if the band had continued releasing singles from this album. They ended up choosing not to. I'll get to that towards the end. But I really enjoy this one, and it was included on the Go-Go's greatest album, which was their compilation of hits, but they had to include album tracks because there were only three albums and so many singles to choose from. Yeah, th this was my first one where I was like, this girl can drum. Uh, Shock was, she blew me away right off the jump on this, and she drives this song, in my opinion, with that bass line, and, and really that surf feel with that floor tom, that like, doom, doom, doom. It's a really neat one. I enjoyed this song. And guess where G the Shock is from? Where? Baltimore. Darn right. She's got that rhythm in her, that Baltimore rhythm. 
Yes, she does. I did not know that. Speaking of which, while we're on it, you said Kathy and Weedland were the main writers. Weedland came in later, correct? And she had more of a musical background. Am I correct on that? No, Weedland was one of the first. Gina was the most musically experienced coming okay. in, the most experienced on her instrument, but she was not a songwriter. So was Kathy the one that had songwriting prowess before or experience? She had a bit, but the one who really came in was also Kathy Valentine. Gotcha. She has one writing credit on this album, and she ended up writing a huge hit for them on the next album, Vacation. Gotcha. So there we have How Much More. I really enjoy this one. One of my favorites on the album for sure. Track number three is Tonight. Kathy and Weedland wrote this song with Peter Case of The Nerves and the Plimsolls. Bands I have never heard of. I think this is a pretty fun new wave party song. Belinda Carlisle wrote in her memoir, Lips Unsealed, that it captured the vibe of L.A. at the time. Lyrically, I think this song is a filler, but I think it keeps the pace of the album going pretty nicely. It does. Uh, I I like the lyrics in this one. I, I thought it was a neat look into that. There's, there's a lyric in here like we are. Oh man, I'm going to paraphrase it, but like. We've already set out to see this night until the morning. Thought that was a cool, like, punk style anthem or a part, you know, a nightlife party anthem there, especially for, a, you know, a girl group who is being taken seriously at this point and signed. You know, our crowds here, the electricity and the vibe is here. I believe that's all said in, in this song. And it really spoke to me as far as painting a picture of that scene. Glad to hear it. Tonight was actually the B-side for the song Automatic, which was a single in the UK. I think this would have made more sense as a single than Automatic, actually. But Ooh, that wasn't the decision made. You ain't kidding me. You're telling me the... the oh, the whole single was automatic A-side and tonight B-side? Yes. Oof. That's a tough sell right there, in my opinion, but we'll get to automatic. It was only released in the UK. Got you. Okay. Yeah, that's a baffling decision to me for sure, but we'll get to automatic later. In the meantime, <laughs> let's discuss track four, Lust to Love. Kind of a self-explanatory title where you are lusting for somebody, but you end up developing feelings. It's a situation that got more intense than expected. I think this is a relationship thing many of us can relate to, whether that love was requited or not. I know I've been there before. Especially, uh, I, I think, in this scene, you know, in the just nightlife party scene, you know, when you're young, you're you're in your early 20s. And you're looking for that hunt, I think, is is the word or, or the, the phrase they used in this album. But you're looking for that cat and mouse game and you enjoy it. And then it takes you by surprise and the lust turns to love. I love the intro to this song as well, musically. It was a neat piece early on in the album. I agree that the intro does draw you right in. Yeah, but overall, Lust to Love is another winner for me. But... It's not as good as the next song. Track number five, end of side one, This Town. What do you think of this one? I want you to go first. I jam on this one, man. I mean, this is like a perfect talk about L.A., man. If 
you'd live here if you could they got that surf feel the west coast behind it and this was this was a scene that was dominated by their people and when i say their people i'm talking about that punk movement uh once the lights went down once the street lights came up and the sun is down they owned that night and and that town i love this song lyrically musically this is this is it's up there. I'm not giving anything away, but it's up there for me on this album. And, and what a hell of a way to finish off the first side of this album, too. Great one. Yeah, this town, this is the one I could not stop listening to this week. I did know it before, but I just couldn't stop listening to this one in particular. I love everything about it. I love the whole concept of it. And it's a pretty beloved album track, it seems. I do wonder if it would have been a single if a third single was released from this album. The Go-Go's chose not to do that, of course. But I think it would have been a cool single. I wish more people knew this song. This is a classic. I'm with you. Between this and tonight, they're the ones I've listened to the most this week leading up to today's podcast. But yeah, you're right, man. This seems like an easy win as a single, you know? But speaking of singles, we're flipping it over the side two with We Got the Beat, the one song you did know on the album. I did. I did. I, and I got to give you guys the, the honest take, man. When I heard we were doing this album, I knew this song was on there. I thought this whole entire album was going to be this song over and over and over again. And when I came in, as as I do with, with each album, I like to listen to it with fresh ears, even if I've heard it before. And in this case, I hadn't. But this is a, a theme that comes along with me for this album. As I learned who they were, this was a recurring theme for me in this album where I had heard the song. Um, but as I learned more about the girls, the band, the movement, and, and where they were, it took on a new life. This is a corny little poppy 80s song, in my opinion, up until doing this album. Now that I read it and, and listen and know who they were, this was, in my opinion, and, and you know, I like to try to put myself in the artist's mind as well, but this is one that they were just out there telling you what they love. You know, they they we get in a trance doing the pony, you know, the Watusi. We're called the Go-Go's for Christ's sake. This is the sound we love. Everybody's got the beat. Uh, you know, it, this is a perfect 80s anthem period. And uh, it gives you a little look into the fun side of, of recording an album and being a band. I completely agree. And I also find it really impressive how quickly Charlotte Cappy did this song she wrote it minutes after hearing a melody on an episode of The Twilight Zone, of all things. Get out. Now, oh, man, that's awesome. I got to go back and, and find that. I'd love to hear that melody. But yeah, it, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's featured in the Go-Go's documentary, which I do recommend if you're interested in the band or just L.A. punk in the late 70s and early 80s in general. It's quite informative. And I love how far the ladies have come over the years because they're definitely not young anymore. They can see everything clearly with their more mature perspective. It's very nice to watch. But back to We Got the Beat. This song was first released as a single in the UK in 1980 in a different version than what was heard on Beauty and the Beat. And it did get some traction there, but it was re-recorded for the album. And it ended up being the second single in January of 1982. And it made it up all the way to number two on the Hot 100 for three weeks at the same time 
Beauty and the Beat was the number one album. This song was blocked by Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll, which I can see why. That's a classic right there, of course. Yeah, I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that hadn't heard at least one of those two songs. Uh, and man, they could probably get in a ring and fight for Anthem of the 80s, you know? <laughs> Chick Rock Anthem of the 80s. Chick Rock Anthem of the 80s fight. There you go. That would be cool to say. Uh, there we go. We'll, we'll build a tournament bracket of beautiful anthems from the 80s and let everybody vote on it and see which one wins. That'd be Ooh. cool. Oh, hey, we're always brainstorming here, guys. We're always brainstorming. Yes, we are. And the video for this song wasn't like the Arlips or Sealed one. It was filmed at a concert that the band did at a high school in Los Angeles. They filmed the whole show there. And what I find amazing about the performance is just the energy this band had. It's not hard to see how they got such a live following in L.A. at all, watching them perform at this time. Most definitely. And this song really got cemented in pop culture forever because it played over the opening credits of a little movie called Fast Times at Ridgemont High, one of the best movies of the 80s, in my opinion. No, no, indeed. And and just adds to the traction of it being heard by millions upon millions. Yes. And Charlotte Caffey made a lot of money off of it. So good for her. (laughs) Go on, girl. Caused some trouble in the band, but she did write the song. So can't can't fault her for getting a fat paycheck on it. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. So next up is one of the numbers you have an issue with on that album, track number seven. You know, I'm always looking for a tight track seven. Yep, on this album, it's Fading Fast, which is a breakup song about moving on. Belinda Carlisle has moved on, but the ex is hung up. I can see why they would be over Belinda Carlisle. I mean, come on, she's gorgeous. I like the concept of this song, but this one's one of the weaker ones on the album for me. It's fine, but definitely overshadowed by other songs on this album. Coming out of We Got the Beat, I am fading fast with this album. Not until the surf sound comes back through and that hi-hat gets to leading. It's I, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get through. I understand the breakup song. The lyrics are there. It's 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 there for me. Who fading fast had me fading fast. That's real. That's okay. If anything on here did, it's probably this one, but maybe not quite. Well. Get to that. And this is a song we talked about earlier, track number eight, Automatic. This is the closest to a ballad on this album. What did you think of this one? I want you to start this one. First listen through, actually all listens through, but first listen through, coming off of Fading Fast into this, I was starting to get fed up. It's it's this one, Automatic is not the one for me. No disrespect to anyone that enjoys this one. But I've heard these sounds already throughout this album. I've heard these ideas throughout this album. It's slow. That's why I was so surprised when you said that it was the A-side of the UK single. Like, why wouldn't you just put Tonight and This Town out together? Like, why? I, 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 I don't know why you would put this out as, as a UK single. You don't hear me say this much, but I just, not the one for me. Sorry, Automatic. This is, I think, officially your least favorite song we've covered on this podcast. It definitely is. You don't ever, I try to find silver linings, but sorry, Automatic, you're out of here. 
This is not one of my favorite songs on the album, but I do love Belinda Carlisle's voice on it. I just love how she enunciates everything. It's a different kind of skill that she's using here. And she does have that very young voice, but I just love it. Her voice on this song is what makes it still not a favorite of mine at all. And what I find really sad is Jane Weedlin was inspired to write this song by her boyfriend at the time, which, oh, that sounds like a sad relationship if you were writing this. Oof. Yes, it does. Fortunately, the pace picks back up with track number nine, You Can't Walk in Your Sleep If You Can't Sleep, the longest title on the album. This track is about insomnia. Jane Weedland struggled with it. This is probably my least favorite song on the album. I do like the beat of it. It's definitely quirky, maybe a little punkish lyrically, but I think it's kind of amateur hour in comparison to something like This Town or Our Lips Are Sealed. I'll agree with you there as far as against This Town or even Our Lips Are Sealed. You took the words out of my mouth on... Uh, automatic with I really enjoyed her rhythmic uh, play as far as uh, Carlisle's voice in You Can't Walk in Your Sleep. Uh, The upbeat, but the rhythmic play inside of the verses from her, I thought was really top notch. And this was one of the ones where I didn't find that young, uh, I don't not unprofessional, but untrained voice, so to speak. I can definitely see where you're coming from. I guess she sounds a bit more sophisticated here than she does on some of the other songs on this album. It's just that rhythmic play inside of the verses. I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but I I enjoyed this one. I've I've listened to this one back and forth a few times. Difference of opinion there, but that's all right. That's why we do it. I still like it okay, but it's just not my favorite here. That's all. You know, if we didn't have these differences of of opinion we wouldn't be able to uh to make it fun you know and and that's why we do it and that's why we can't stop doing it no we cannot so next up is track number 10 skid marks on my heart this is the only song that belinda carlisle has a writing credit on it sounds like an angry breakup song and i like the take on it but in her memoir belinda actually wrote that it was about her brother who was going through a hard time, her cat, and her first car that had a missing passenger side. I, really? Yeah, very strange to me. I didn't get that from this song at all. She did co-write it with Charlotte Caffey, of course, but I didn't get that. I just thought she was angry. This is definitely her angriest vocal on the album. Most definitely. And the, I, I thought the, the writing... And the use of the car metaphors or the car life metaphors throughout were super cool and awesome metaphor for the riskiness of of the love she was describing. (laughs) I thought this was like the most like to the point cut and dry lyrics on the album. And here we go talking about a cat. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) Well, that's wild. I guess all those drugs do mess up your brain a bit. She was dropping acid like candy back at this point so that's that that's that scene that's that night party scene yeah but i enjoy this one and you can definitely hear that kind of punk edge of the her voice come through which is interesting because she has such a pop voice i feel like and that only evolved over the years especially once she became a solo artist so it's interesting to hear kind of the edginess still there i think 
I, I go back to the Goddard Freeman thought of how much of that pop sound for her was produced and how much was actually was her. You know what I'm saying? Not that it wasn't coming from her heart, but I feel like and even hearing them say that they didn't think it was it was gritty enough or punk enough or or, you know, to their liking. I wonder. I feel like Skid Marks wasn't produced to be a poppy song and that's why i feel like you really get to hear her come out in this or i wonder if that's why we get to hear her come out in this i wonder too because this one does stick out a bit vocally in comparison to the rest of this album but i really enjoy it and now we are at the end of the album track 11 can't stop the world this was a last minute addition to the album the band was uh, advised to include a cover song but Kathy Valentine was the newest member she had written this song for her previous band the Textones and Charlotte Kathy said we're going to use this one it meant a lot to Kathy Valentine she expressed that in her memoir and she said from that point the go-go's were my family for better or for worse I love this song as an album closer. It is a bit redundant lyrically, but I love the message of it. Can't stop the world. Why can't, Why let it stop you? Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a final track, this is one you don't hear me say a lot. I think it hits perfect. Finish with what drove the album, in my opinion, and that's the drums. This is filled with beautiful drum work uh, from Shock again, but why not finish off with one of your strongest cards and uh, Can't Stop the World found a great spot at this this 11th track spot at the end of the album. Most definitely. There we have Beauty and the Beat. Yep, there it is. There it is. What's your favorite on the album? This Town. This Town was my favorite. I really jammed on that song. I listened to it way more than any other track uh, throughout the week. I loved the way they painted that picture. And I just, I like the sound overall. Close second was Tonight. I really enjoyed Tonight as well. Yeah, I think as things have changed, I'm going to say This Town too. I love the whole concept of it. I have a lot of nostalgia for Our Lips Are Sealed because I've known it for so long and it would definitely be second, but I'm going to put this town above that. There you go. What's your uh, what's your grade for this bad boy? A minus. There you go. There you go. What's yours? I'm going to give this one a straight B. Uh, like I said, the first listen was tough, uh, but really after I started to understand or learn about the girls understand their struggle, the scene, and their triumph through this album, and the album being a triumph in the new wave, new wave scene as well. Uh, I really was able to relate to this album a lot more than I thought I was going to, and I found uh, somewhat of an enjoyment in the album as a whole at that point. So uh, straight B for me on this one. All right, there we have it. And what I did want to touch on that we discussed a bit earlier was that This album did only have two singles despite its success, and IRS Records wanted to keep releasing singles from this album for obvious reasons, but the band wanted to keep going, and they dropped the second album, which wasn't quite as successful, but the lead single from that album ended up being Vacation, which was a huge hit, and I will say, I don't see any other songs on this album, even This Town, having been bigger hits than Vacation. Yeah, no, it probably made... I mean, they were they were super happy and, and they're making another quick album, but Vacation 
definitely would have trumped this town as far as a single. Or anything else here for that matter. Most definitely. So I can't blame them for wanting to do a second album quickly when they were sitting on vacation of all songs. And that did end up being a big hit and it helped their concert ticket sales out a lot. I could even see Skid Marks being a great single. I I, I like that one. <laughs> I, really, I thought the writing was so cool. Uh, uh, but yeah, there's singles all over this. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of crazy that there weren't any more from it. Because this was the era we were starting to release more and more singles from albums, but the Go-Go's chose not to do that. That was their choice. <laughs> yep. There you go. All righty. Well, I think that does it for Beauty and the Beat. Beauty and the Beat is done. We learned, or I learned. <laughs> what, are we, uh, what are we diving into next week? So next week, we have a listener-suggested album. This listener, in fact, was my father. And he requested that we do Book of Dreams by the Steve Miller Band to kick off our deep dive into the 70s next month. We'll be doing the 70s because July is the seventh month of the year. Love it. That's a great one to start off the 70s. Oh, most definitely. It'll be a fun one. It was definitely a very successful album and had some really iconic songs on it. So I'm very excited to dive into that one. But while you're waiting for that, Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. We're now available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, Anchor, and Spotify. Very exciting. And also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts, where you will get updates on new episodes and all kinds of goodies related to what we'll be talking about throughout the week. Most definitely. Until then, adios and... Next week, we will all read the Book of Dreams together. That we will. See you next week.